Greetings and welcome to Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association of the United States. I'm your host, Brian Reardon, and with me is Betsy Taylor. She is the editor of CHA's award-winning publication, Health Progress. Hi, Betsy. Good morning, Brian. Uh, So here we are again in the studio. Here we are again talking about COVID, but this time we wanted to have a conversation um, not about COVID necessarily in the U.S. or necessarily of how it's impacted uh, members of CHA, but really looking at a broader perspective of what the um, pandemic has has taught us about global health and kind of we've had some other conversations as we've done this podcast series over the last couple of years uh, around various aspects of global health. But for this conversation, we're bringing in um, Mary Beth Powers. She is the president and CEO of the Catholic Medical Mission Board. Hello, Mary Beth. Good afternoon. And we also have uh, Bruce Compton. He is a CHA Senior Director of Global Health. Hi, Bruce. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, I thought uh, having the two of you together, you both work very closely together on a lot of global health initiatives. Uh, so we thought it'd be helpful just to kind of get a perspective. Where do we see things going uh, as hopefully we, we begin to emerge from this pandemic? We know we've still got a long way to go, and it seems like every time we think um, things are trending in the right direction, a, a variant pops up, and we we tend to be retrenching. But I, I think in, in here we are approaching the 1st of March of twenty. 22, so two years plus into the pandemic, we may be seeing some glimmers of hope. Well, I guess that's still to be determined, but we did, again, want to kind of look at a a global perspective on this. So before we get into some of those um, issues around the pandemic and global health, Mary Beth, I thought it'd be helpful. Could you tell us a little bit about CMMB? Sure, I'd be happy to. In fact, CMMB enjoys a long relationship with Catholic Health Association, so it's kind of an interesting story. We were begun about 110 years ago by uh, a person who went out as a medical mission, having suffered some personal tragedy to deliver health care in Haiti. And uh, that volunteer effort brought about other people in the Catholic hospitals at the time who also wanted to serve in mission roles around the world. That was really our beginning. We've grown over many years in strong partnership also with the pharmaceutical industry. So we do uh, pharmaceutical donations programs uh, to deliver medicines and, and increase the accessibility of affordable quality medicines in the developing world. And in the last 20, 25 years, we've had much deeper programs on the ground in places in Africa, Asia, and Latin America to address the issues related to maternal and child health, also HIV and AIDS. And we currently have programs in five countries, South Sudan, Zambia, Kenya, Peru, and Haiti, as well as delivering, still delivering pharmaceuticals to many more countries, usually 30 to 40 countries per year receive pharmaceuticals via CMMB, as we call ourselves. Mary Beth, we wanted to take a closer look at how COVID-19 has impacted health outcomes around the world. Um, if, as part of that, can you tell us a little bit about the major differences between um, what you're seeing in low-income versus high-income countries? Sure. In fact, the biggest risk that we really see in our work is that the amount of attention that we've had to give to COVID-19, both prevention and and, and vaccination, uh, has has drawn some attention away from some of those basic maternal and child health programs that were really the core of our work around the world. So the concerns that we have have to do with both at 
on the one hand, trying to deal with COVID-19 on the front lines with health workers that we've trained around the world, but also at the same time, trying to encourage women to seek medical care uh, for during pregnancy and uh, labor and delivery, et cetera. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, when people felt very concerned about going to health facilities, we saw a little bit of a drop off. And we had to kind of remind people that one of the best ways to ensure the outcome for mother and baby is, in fact, to deliver in a facility with skilled attendants. So, so there have been lots of different public health things that have long been in place, vaccination programs, et cetera, for children under five that have suffered because of the important attention being given to COVID-19. So the, the actual implications for the long-term uh, health outcomes may, may be both in terms of morbidity and mortality that are related to COVID-19, but also excess morbidity and mortality to things that are not COVID related, but in fact uh, affected how healthcare, basic healthcare services were delivered in developing countries where we work. And Bruce, I know uh, for your work with with CHN Global Health, um, obviously things have been quite different over the last two years. Yeah, Brian, absolutely. While Global Health has been on the front burner for everyone, um, it, it has, uh, of course, really changed the way relationships happens and, and that network building, um, which is so important in global health. Uh, most of it has happened virtually versus in person. I think there's been a great deal of learning about amongst uh, Catholic healthcare and their partners, including great partners like CMNB, um, about what you can accomplish globally using the technology that's advanced quite quickly as a result of COVID. And when you talk about relationships, really that's that's kind of the essence of global health for um, those of us that work in this area in the U.S. Um, we really rely not only on our partners uh, domestically, but building relationships um, overseas. And I think that's really where, uh, if a program is going to be successful, it really is uh, having that strong connection with partners in countries that you're either trying to assist with maybe surplus medical supplies or with um, medical assistance programs. And I'm wondering, you know, um, Mary Beth, you wrote a really great piece, and I, I want to highlight that. You did an op-ed in the Miami Herald. It was entitled, uh, We Can't Fight the Next Pandemic with Handouts and Charity to Poor Nations. Um, and in that, you, you really talked about how public-private partnerships formed by governments as well as international donors, not-for-profits, uh, companies you mentioned, pharmaceutical work earlier, really can help build local capacity. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about about the the points you made there? Because I'm not sure everybody who's listening to this had the opportunity to read that uh, great piece, but share a little bit about some of the the main points that you you brought forth in that in that op ed. Sure. Actually, we should just remember what the Holy Father you know, was saying in as early as December, I think, of 2019 in this Christmas message that, you know, we can't really rely on market forces alone to address the pandemic. And he was absolutely prescient in terms of our need to take care of each other and that it's an all of us kind of solution. So we were just looking at what's happened, the fact that, in fact, uh, vaccines, have been concentrated, at least the vaccination coverage has been concentrated and much more available in the global north, if you will, than it has been in uh, in developing countries, especially very low coverage rates right now in Africa, for example, still most countries at around 10, 15% coverage. So how are we gonna get the job done? We haven't done a very good job this time around. 
one thing that we have learned along with many others during the uh, efforts against HIV and AIDS over the years was the importance of public-private partnerships, which put together the efforts of governments, including the US government, including European governments and international agencies, and combined those with some excellent contributions from the pharmaceutical industry, other industries, for example, uh, the delivery people who are experts in sort of distribution, supply chain kinds of issues. Uh, and then that helped bring medicines closer to people who needed the kind of care that was needed on the front lines of AIDS. And in the article, I really suggested, you know, our efforts to donate vaccines or donate PPE are important, but they are really not the way to get the job done. We are going to need an effort that involves more companies, more nonprofit organizations like our organization, and also governments working together to try and more quickly respond in a more equitable way than we've been able to do this time. Can you talk to us a little bit about how this would work or how this is working in practical terms? Um, a lot of our listeners are working, obviously, for Catholic um, health care systems in the United States. I'm just wondering about what role different organizations or different sectors should have in this work. Well, certainly uh, there are material supports that are needed and very early and, and it continues even today for us to receive, for example, uh, uh, PPE, so preventive uh, protective gear for the staff who are on the front lines in emerging markets. That didn't exist. And until we get production and capabilities to have those supplies closer to those sites. It has been helpful to have the partnerships with organizations like members of CHI USA and others who have been helpful at providing some of those things. Uh, but there are also organizations like, I, you know, rapid diagnostics and testing. That is an expertise of a number of uh, companies in the pharmaceutical industry. It's been critical to improving uh, diagnostics and testing for malaria, as well as HIV in Africa, for example. So those are some of the kinds of companies that we're going to have to get off the sidelines and into this effort. And Bruce, what about um, what have you been hearing from um, CHA members about where they think they should be involved in this work? Yeah, that's thanks, uh, Betsy. Um, you know, I think it's really transitioning uh, here during the the pandemic, and I think public-private partnerships and sort of that business and mission of Catholic healthcare are really important. Uh, and so, you, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were on a call with people talking about PPE and supply chain. And it seems like there's a great opportunity that, that supply chain has been uh, unmasked as a real weakness in global health. Uh, we, we were not able to get so many of these vaccines to the last mile. We have great expertise in the United States and some uh, opportunity to really think about how do we leverage that expertise uh, potentially through public-private partnerships in countries that need to build up that supply chain so that we're helping to build that infrastructure. And we have members that have interest in that. Uh, I was part of the National Academy of Medicine's Forum for Public-Private Partnership for Global Health and Safety. And it really does help to also, for our members to think about this as a way to uh, bridge that 
um, charity and business that, that Mary Beth said in her op-ed, we're not going to get through the next pandemic with charity. I think the countries and the governments, including our own government, have to invest in these kind of partnerships. And that could be advantageous to people and organizations like CMNB, like our members who want to continue that historic tradition of uh, providing global support, but most importantly, to build the appropriate infrastructure in the places where we're, uh, where we're hoping to help uh, for the long term. Yeah, and Bruce, we've talked about uh, the, the PPE collaborative that you just referenced. Um, and it, you know, it strikes me that, for a lot of our members anyway, they obviously want to do good. Um, they have resources that they want to share. A lot of times, though, it's it's kind of like what to do. So, for example, take take uh, surplus PPE that may be stacked up in a, a warehouse somewhere and it's going to expire. What advice do you give to uh, CHA members and, and other health care organizations to try to coordinate so that we can be more efficient? Uh, um, let's just look at the supply chain and making sure that items that we have, again, we typically in the U.S. have an abundance of resources that maybe the rest of the world doesn't always enjoy. And how do we coordinate that? I know that's been a big part of the work you do, but are, are there any sort of, um, I, I guess, simple, or, I mean, not simple answers, nothing's really ever simple, but some guidance on, on how to, uh, if, if you're an organization that has an abundance of resources, particularly around PPE, how do you make sure that that can get to people who need it around the globe? Yeah, well, Brian, you're, you're absolutely right. It's not, there's not a simple answer to the question about how do you get it there. Uh, if you try and do it yourself. But I think there is a simpler answer today than there was 20 years ago. And that is that we have, um, uh, we have with the CMMB who works to, to provide pharmaceuticals globally. We have two of our members who are accredited medical surplus recovery organizations. And they've come together, um, the two accredited medical surplus recovery organizations, which are part of uh, HSHS, as well as part of Providence. And, um, but they're collaborating with other members who are working with them to both donate PPE and to donate funding to help offset the cost with getting that PPE to other places. So the simple answer is to reach out to myself and I can connect you with um, the people at Providence and, and Hospital Sisters Health System that are already collaborating to get PPE uh, to these places. And many of our members are already working with those two institutions. And Mary Beth, from your perspective, what, what advice or guidance would you give to Catholic health systems that, again, are trying to, to do the right thing, uh, maybe beyond um, you know what Bruce just described? I know that at the beginning of uh, the vaccine being available, when people were very you know interested in, in the Catholic health system to kind of donate excess certain um, excess supplies to our work, for example, that wasn't possible. And I could, frankly, really hear the pain and frustration of folks who were providing vaccines, but knew that they had supplies that were going to expire, you know, really wishing that they could be part of getting us vaccines for our our, you know, basically our beneficiaries in Haiti, for example. So, so, you know, where things can't work, we've also found frustration and we share the, you know, passion people feel for everybody is our brothers 
and our sisters, and we are all in this together. Uh, so that was one of our experiences at the be very beginning of uh, the vaccines being available here. Now, I think the availability of PPE and making sure that that is you know part of these organized systems that that Bruce has helped set up and others are working through so that we can benefit from that. We are excellent on the ground at distribution through our work and also work of partners. So we work very closely, for example, with the government of Zambia. So it's not it's not just direct to CMMB, which has a you know footprint in a couple of districts, but in fact can um, help spread PPE and other supplies where they're most needed. When it comes to um, vaccination around the globe, um, I know some of the countries um, where CMMB works, um, it's been extremely difficult to get um, vaccination rates to a figure that probably anyone would like to see them at. Um, can you talk about what are the what are sort of the stumbling blocks at this point? Is it um, is it getting the vaccines? Is it getting refrigeration? Is it getting them into remote areas? What um, what are sort of next steps on getting more people vaccinated in some of these nations? Betsy, it's probably many of those things. So I, I you know I can't say that we're past the need for infrastructure like refrigeration and other kinds of things that were really critical and were being provided at the, you know, when vaccines started to be delivered. But the biggest challenge really has been in getting the vaccine sort of out of capital cities and out to the periphery, which are the kinds of communities where CMMB works and other organizations. So that, that requires both the supply chain, which Bruce was talking a little bit about. It requires other kinds of supplies, of course, as well well, including, you know, uh, syringes and needles and, and those kinds of things that requires training of health workers, which has been a huge issue, actually, and maybe surprisingly so because we thought, you know, there would be health workers. But again, like we saw in this country, health workers fell ill. There were other reasons that we did not have the capabilities or the needed numbers of people on the front lines ready to do the vaccinations once vaccines arrived in capital cities. So we've been working as have many organizations on those parts of the problem. And then, you know, the final big push, very similar. So this is a global phenomenon is a lot of distrust, you know, lack of information about why get vaccinated, what's in the vaccine, et cetera. So we've had to do some work on sort of dispelling uh, myths, improving conversations at the local level, and you really need local leaders. Uh, we work with a lot of local faith leaders. That's been absolutely critical to encouraging people to get vaccinated in different settings. So we've been quite successful in South Sudan and in Haiti in two very, very difficult settings at increasing the vaccination coverage, but there's still a long way to go. And is the vaccine hesitancy, is it universal? I mean, are, are the same issues that we see in the United States um, the same? You know, we've got a certain percentage of the population that A, doesn't trust the government, doesn't trust science, doesn't trust whatever, or, or falls into maybe some conspiracy theories about what's the va what the vaccine is all about. Is, is that pretty common or are there different, uh, I guess, perspectives on why people would not be willing to get vaccinated? There, there probably are a number of other things at play, including, you know, some history of, of uh, medical testing mm. without, you know, good information, without informed consent that makes some people concerned in uh, in some of the countries where we work. There's also, yeah, you know, there are some myths that circulate. And I think, you know, the 
both the blessing and the curse of social media is that good information and bad information can be easily spread. So uh, people are not immune from uh, widespread, you know, uh, either conspiracy or other kinds of concerns that can be whipped up in very short time and lead to a kind of suspicion of a vaccination campaign. Brian, um, just to a point that uh, Mary Beth made just a second ago, I think it, you know, she she referenced faith-based leaders. I think um, the multilateral agencies like the World Health Organization have identified that and are starting a new faith-based network to be in better communication and um, with those faith-based leaders for future incidences like this. The same is true with the U.S. Agency for International Development and trying to have more conversations with their faith-based partners because those authority figures within the faith are so important in inspiring the right messages. And I think us having those relationships again will be important. Maybe one thing to add on that, too, is just when you really look at, you know, many, many of the mission communities who have long been on the ground. These are trusted people. They're from the community. They've served the community for many years, and they are going to be an important part of helping to build, build you know, confidence in programs like vaccination around the world. And you both work with the Vatican pretty closely, too. I know they've been active in, in a lot of the uh, COVID response coordination. Yeah, Brian, we have, uh, we have worked with the, uh, with the COVID commission and helped to um, get out the, the um, leadership and guidance that they, uh, that they had provided early on around, around this kind of work. Um, and it's, I think it's important Again, the, you know, the Pope has said it, but we need to continue to, to relay those messages to the right people and to the right places. And uh, the, the COVID Commission, which was created in the Dicastery um, for Integral Human Development, uh, developed those messages uh, over a year ago and really important for us to continue to, to share those with faith leaders. For as challenging as this pandemic has been on on everyone, um, you both touched upon um, really learning new things about global health and what can be effective. Um, I think, you know, that's involved um, using technology in different ways when people couldn't be um, around the globe um, for for months and years at a time. Um, you know, we we've heard about new partnerships. What are you seeing as some of the more encouraging um, new approaches or um, even uh, public private partnerships that have um, really seemed like they may uh, make a difference moving forward? As I mentioned, we really, you know, were begun with, you know, medical professionals going overseas to provide health care in different settings. And one thing that we've really seen is we've had some excellent, I'll call them like tele, I don't know, telemission, telemission trips, but medical professionals, not exactly telemedicine, but medical professionals who would have preferred to have gone firsthand to do some direct training of healthcare professionals in other countries, but they've worked with CMMB to do some educational sessions for medical staff on the front lines around the world. And those those medical sessions could be related to COVID, but there were other medical sessions like upgrading skills and understanding new techniques that also we were able to transfer what we normally would do with the volunteer visit to doing it on telemedicine. So it's not exactly the same, but we found some big success for our volunteers program in trying 
trying to use new technologies to advance learning among health workers around the world. And I would just uh, concur with that and say that telehealth initiatives have become, whether it's telementoring or if it is clinical work or if it's training of clinicians, uh, you hear about that being more and more uh, available and um, useful than, than you would have heard before. I remember a story from very, very early on where a physician from Ireland, uh, the name of his talk was, this is not the mission trip I signed up for. Hmm. And he, he was really quite irritated that they were asking them to do something. But, but over time, he found out that he could do a lot that he didn't need to be in country to provide the kind of support that he was providing. Um, I think, and I, I think the other thing is, is that, and the questions that we might need to be asking is what are, what have people learned about their own abilities in these countries to, uh, uh, as a result of not having these relationships? I've heard, I've heard great stories about, you know, people are stepping up and really, um, putting putting themselves forth in a way that they didn't before because there was another partner there and taking advantage of this opportunity to show the leadership and be um, the leaders that they are in these country programs. So I think that's a really important thing for us to sit back and learn from as we move forward with our next generation of relationships. Yeah, and that uh, leads me to I guess the last question in the couple of minutes we have left is, you know, if we think about the future of global health, this will not be the last pandemic. In fact, this pandemic may last longer than or has lasted longer than I think any of us anticipated and may continue on and with, with variants and what have you. But oh, what do you both see as the future of global health? I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about medical surplus, uh, short-term medical trips. Um, there's obviously other programs like uh, parish training programs. Obviously, a lot of universities uh, are involved in overseas medical trips. But what what's going to be new and different from all of this from your perspective, if you could kind of look into a, a, a crystal ball, I suppose? I mean, one thing I would really say is that we've recognized is well, you know, while that medical expertise is needed, you know, public health planning expertise, there are a number of other areas, supply chain, other kinds of expertise that is being developed. Uh, but every once in a while, uh, a mentorship around something like that could be quite useful. So I'm sort of seeing a little bit of a broadening. Uh, we have a volunteer uh, who's going out with us this year who, you know, spent 30 years at CDC. Mm. And he's going for uh, a trip to the field to spend a couple of months working on public health planning, on data analytics, et cetera. So there, there are some new areas of mentoring that um, could be helpful and I'm excited about for the future. That's something we've really seen changing. Yeah, and I think, uh, Brian, the, the transition that, that we see um, in Catholic healthcare is, is how, do we, how do we continue partnerships uh, in uh, in this new era of, of um, technology and how do we transition to, uh, in some ways, uh, I've heard some of our Catholic health uh, members say the future, if there's going to be expansion of healthcare, even the business of healthcare, it's, it's not necessarily here. It is in some of the other parts of the world. So I think it's transitioning from that uh, where we started with Mary Beth's uh, op-ed from the charity to how do we continue the business and the mission of Catholic healthcare globally? 
Well, thank you both. Let me just, before we wrap up, though, I do want to make one plug. Typically, I'm plugging um, one of Betsy's articles from Health Progress, but I, I wanted to plug the Catholic Cares Coalition. Um, Bruce and Mary Beth, you were both active in that. That, for those who don't know about it, is a coalition of more than 60 uh, Catholic organizations in the U.S. that have um, come together to promote both vaccine acceptance here in the U.S., but also uh, vaccine equity across the globe. And I know there's been a lot of work uh, in the advocacy uh, committee of that coalition to encourage uh, the White House and Congress to provide adequate support. Real quick, if both of you could just weigh in on that, uh, what's the prospect on some of those advocacy work um, and making sure that we have adequate funding uh, to support, again, our brothers and sisters overseas and getting vaccines uh, to people who need them? I mean, to me, it's really two things. Like one is what what can we do now as, as part of as the U.S. government, U.S. government leadership in investing and in improving health systems that can deliver these vaccines? Uh, but the second part is in investing, which may not be the U.S. government, maybe uh, the private sector, et cetera, but investing in the means of production, both for PPE, for vaccines, for medications, for you know, test kits, et cetera. I mean, the, the number of things that have been lacking is more than just the vaccines. So it's also a lot of important discussions happening about, you know, as we look toward a, a better ability to respond in the future, it's where, you know, why are vaccine production so concentrated? Why is PPE production so concentrated in certain markets? And how do we diversify the supplies uh, from going forward? So inside Catholic Cares Coalition, we've had discussions about some of those kinds of issues, as well as trying to encourage the White House and the U.S. Congress to do the right thing and support strengthening health systems that are still on the front lines of trying to get uh, their populations protected. Oh, nice summary. Thanks, Mary Beth. Bruce, anything to add real quick before we wrap it up? I think Mary Beth did a great job. It's just been a pleasure to work with Mary Beth and others from uh, other Catholic agencies to really uh, amplify that message, uh, those messages, both to our our own uh, leaders here in the U.S. and, and our um, faith-based leaders around the world. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you both for taking some time out to talk to Betsy and I about this really important topic, uh, one that um, I think we don't pay enough attention to, frankly. I mean, we, we talked a lot when Ebola came out about the need to have sort of, you know, a better coordinated global response. And I think that just kind of went by the wayside in some respects. And then, of course, COVID hits. Um, and I worry that, and I don't know if you share that, but, you know, are we going to forget about global health when, when this pandemic at some point is in the rear of your mirror? I don't think we can afford to do so. Completely agree. We can't afford to do so. And we we have been warned before, and we maybe didn't take all those lessons to heart, but I certainly hope that we are going to take them to heart and continue to build on the strong efforts to kind of build a, a functioning national health system, global health system. I mean, they, they have to go hand in hand. So, Mary Beth Powers, president and CEO of the Catholic Medical Mission Board. Thank you so much for being with us. And Bruce Compton, CHA's Senior Director for Global Health. Appreciate you taking time out as well. For Betsy Taylor, I'm Brian Reardon, and this has been another episode of Catholic Health USA, the podcast of the Catholic Health Association in the United States. Until next time, we'll talk to you.